Welcome to the JMS Podcast. My name is Jorim Sanchez and thank you for tuning in. We have a great episode. Today, our guest is Kurt Porter. He brings along his band, The Human Experience. We had an amazing chat about music and he performs two songs here in the studio. I'm very excited because this is the first band uh, to uh, perform here acoustically. And um, I was a little worried at first if I had the capabilities to record them all and still sound good. And luckily, I think it came out very good, uh, consider what I got. And uh, I, I can't wait for you guys to listen to those songs and uh, listen to the interview. But before we get there, uh, I need to let you guys know something. I need to let you guys know that the music festival went great. Um, I'm recording this after. This is like late night, so this episode might come out a little later than the usual. Don't worry, don't panic, but you just need to know that the music festival went great. Thank you for everybody who came. Uh, thank you to all the performers. They all performed very well. Uh, I mean, uh, Tom with his side hit off well, along with Marty Murillo, then Patrice Faith, Jake Wickman, and Israel Sanchez brought it home. And man, it was a rocking night. Uh, for me, my set went okay. Uh, Could have been done better. Uh, the odds were against me. Uh, were against me for sure. I was losing my voice, and on top of that, I had uh, quite a few technical difficulties that really messed me up mentally. And that's the thing about music, because with music, you really gotta get into the zone. And when you're off the zone, any little thing can mess you up. And so it took me about two songs to get over the technical difficulty and get back into the groove. But other than that, uh, I know the performance could have been better on my part. But I'm really glad to share those new uh, songs out there. And, uh, and, uh, and I got plenty of more that I've been working on that hopefully I'm a little more encouraged to come out and perform them. But again, thank you to all the supporters and thank you to all the listeners and thank you to everybody, the performers, for supporting this podcast, supporting that event. And I think it, the, I think it went great. It went so great that I'm definitely going to look into um, uh, promoting it and uh, producing more of those kind of events. And uh, really engage with the community a lot more in that um way because it's one thing to to listen to their stories through this podcast and it's another thing to meet them in person and meet them performing the thing they love to do so look forward to that ladies and gentlemen and uh yeah uh i can't say enough uh pictures will be on the social media websites uh pretty soon and um look forward to that too you can still subscribe to this podcast if it's not too late you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes soundcloud and stitcher Please follow the podcast at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And please uh, check out the jmspodcast.com website. Plenty of more content to check out there. And if you have any questions or concerns or any ideas of how you can, uh, this podcast can better benefit the community, please send those emails to jmspodcast at gmail.com. And please support this podcast, one, by telling your friends and family, of course, share around the web, and on top of that, if you get a little money to spare, you can donate to the JMS Podcast on GoFundMe or on Patreon. And uh, please uh, keep this thing going. Uh, we still got a lot more people to get through and hear their stories and their journeys, and you can find all that information on the website jmspodcast.com just do it uh, trademarked by Nike just do it alright let's get to our conversation with Kurt Porter uh, and the human experience this is the first song I'm going to play right now it's called Road Home and this is the song uh, he recorded here on the studio 
And then the song he performs at the end, that is called Catch Me If You Can. All right, let's get to it. Here is Kurt Porter and the human experience.
See, I did invite you. You did invite me. Yeah. Right. yeah that was a that was the graduation. Par- I remember the graduation party. I wasn't able to make it because I had to work. Yeah. yeah. But so. thank you for coming here today, tonight. When are we? When yeah. are we recording? Well, we've been recording the whole time. Oh, this whole time we've been recording. Yeah. I, I'd like to surprise my guests that oh, way. Oh yeah, I like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, but he, Kurt is joined here with the lovely Leslie, and Jeff Ochoa, hey. and my father who's yeah. in the room. So to all my listeners, uh, fair warning, fair warning. Well, my listeners heard all about him. I, I kind of talk about it. But other than that, Kurt, thank you for coming. Awesome. It, it's a long time due, I must say, considering how long we knew each other. Yeah. When did we meet? We met back in... I don't know. Uh, I've only lived in the Bay Area for four years, so somewhere around there, maybe. Three years, something I like remember. That. We met at Friscotti. We met at Friscotti somewhere. Who and, knows how long ago. And I remember that I was just learning guitar at the time. Mm. In some ways, I still am. Uh, but I remember you, uh, you You asked me, you know, what is I'm trying to learn? And I told you I'm trying to be a blues player. And you pulled some fucking blues riffs out of nowhere. Mm. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to quit now. Like, I think, I think, I think I'm, I'm good. I think this guy has it has it handled for the for the community out here. Dude, blues is where if you want to learn guitar, start with start blues is like the start here, man. Everybody plays blues, at, you know. Well, you, you encouraged me, and you told me something that that to this day like it really resonates with me. And you're like, blues is important to start off. Not many people do, at least people our age and our mm-hmm. generation. People usually go for the straight folk or straight pop or whatever, and in some ways, blues is, is a almost like a, a dying music among, you know, people like us who are under 30. Yeah. Um, but there is a lot of fundamentals to learn with the blues. Yeah, it's the first place you learn to solo. It's the first, you know, um, everybody knows, every player I know knows a 12 bar, and there's a lot you can do with it. You can play a 12 bar in any rhythm, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's the first place that you learn to expand as a guitar player. You know, it's certainly the first place that I learned to play. Did I ever tell you how I started playing no, blues? No. Tell me all about so it. So I was 17, and I used to go to this place in my hometown called Donna Jean's Libations. Where's your hometown? Phoenix, Arizona. And so uh, there's this place called Donna Jean's Libations, and uh, my guitar teacher's brother used to play in the house band there. They did like a open jam on like Thursday nights or Tuesday nights or something, right? 
Um, so I went, I would go, and I was too young to get in the bar because I was 17. Right. Um, and so they would sneak me in the back, and they would leave me on stage all night because I couldn't just be hanging out in the bar. I could be on stage or I had to be outside. Yeah. So they would... I don't know if you're familiar with how open jams work, yeah. but open jams, you know, you get there and you write your name on a piece of paper, like, hey, my name's Kurt, I play guitar, you know, um, and the house band plays a few songs and then they open it up and they rotate in musicians, you know, everybody plays about two to three songs, yada, 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 mm-hmm. you know, depending on, you know, availability of players. Of course, there's a ton of guitar players. If you're a bass player, you probably play for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh so what they would do, I was just a guitar player, and because I was so young, they would just leave me on stage all night. Now, I was the youngest guy in the band. The second youngest guy in the band was the guy who invited me there, uh, Mr. Eric McKay, and uh, he was 40. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there was like this black guy that played drums there, and they would be like, if anybody asks, that's your dad. How'd you get involved with this uh, McKay? Uh, through his brother, Ryan McKay, who's, was, who's my guitar teacher. Um, yeah, he was taking lessons from him, and he's like, hey, my brother does, like, you know, random gigs, um, and so I would go sit in with his brother, you know, we'd do lessons every week, and then I would go sit in with his brother, and his brother did, like, blues gigs and, like, cover gigs and stuff like that, so we'd show up at some bar, and, like, I would know some of the songs, or he would send me a list, or sometimes it'd be like, all right, we're gonna do one, four, five in the key of A, uh, bridge B minor with an added five, like, mm. All right, like uh, I gotta do this like theory lesson, you know. Um, and so at was, seventeen, did you have the stamina to stay on the stage all night? Yeah, but I I was nervous. Um, the stamina wasn't the issue; it was the playability. I mean, these guys were these guys were really good, and uh, yeah. and I would turn my guitar down, and they would always come and crank me up, and I would turn it down, and they would they would crank me up. <laughs> you you were hoping to get drowned out? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the guy these guys were so good. I would just be you know, I was like wide eyed little kid. You know, I probably looked fourteen. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but yeah, I, I did that every Tuesday night for about a year or two, you know, and doing like little odd gigs, little side gigs and stuff like that and pay me a little bit, but you know, it was, it was good experience for me and really like grounding me in my playing and my ability to jam and like knowing what a jam, like that's the thing about blues with getting back to like guitar playing and blues, like blues is the first time where you just jam. Everybody knows a 12 bar, right? Mm-hmm. You do a 12 bar in the key of A Right now, we have all of our soloists that we can just jam and really feel ourselves as a band, and, and you can do that with anybody. You know, I can sit in with the four of us here tonight, can sit like, all right, we're doing a 12 bar A, and we can jam all night long and, and do a lot of different things with that and really and really open up the band and, and feel the dynamics. Yeah. And that's something I don't really see too often, at least uh, in at least the open mic network that I know of mm-hmm. where the the jamming it's not the same because there is a blues jam on Woodham's Lounge yeah I on, on the that. first Mondays it's it's amazing if you ask me it's one of the best uh, blues nights like, right. venues honestly I mean there's other who are specifically made for blues but something about having it at a dive bar yeah just it's perfect yeah, like, the shittier the bar, the more bluesy it is. <laughs> exactly. Like, ah, like, it smells like defeat. And, and, and it's depression. actually playing for the right crowd, if you think about yeah. it. Um, and these guys were veterans. Like, these guys were pros. Uh, I remember I took David Fournier there once, and he wanted to go jam with them. I'm like, no, dude, it's not the same. It's not the same level. Like, it's not. Because like, these guys, it'll be four guys who don't even know each other, and they'd be like, all right, and they just get on the same frequency, and it's they blues. go at it. It's blues. It's you know, if there's it's standards. Like there's jazz standards too. Like jazz is the same way where there's standards. You know, like I play bass in this Grateful Dead band, and that's that way. Like we know, we know so many Grateful Dead tunes 
you know, we know every Grateful Dead tune that they ever did, and ones they covered, and other stuff that we've been playing. To, you know, that we can freeform from one song to another without talking about it. Like we're in the middle of playing, and then somebody teases that next song. Like, oh, I know that song. The same thing happens in jazz, or jazz fusion, and blues is the same way. You know, a lot of blues songs are the same. Um, you know, we can go from stormy weather into you know, who knows what. So, yeah. how, did, how did you get involved with the Grateful Band? Uh, is it a cover band, or is it like actual members of the Grateful Dead? No, it's not any members of the Grateful Dead. There were some Deadheads that I met. Um, I'm the youngest guy in the band by 20 years. Uh, there's some guys that I, the drummer for this band's actually also in that band. Uh, I've been playing. I just jam with them. We've had in our four years we've been playing together. We've had two gigs, and both of them were a week apart from each other. Um, in both gigs, you know, one, the first one we played for from seven o'clock at, at night to three o'clock in the morning, and the next one we played for like six hours as well. Um, so really, like that band is really freeing for me as a musician because, like, a I don't know the material. B, um, we just get in there and jam. That's what we do. There's no pressure on it. It's not like you know what I'm doing with Kerpore and the Human Experience where we're working on an album and we're doing things and we're you know like we're trying to make it tight and there's like a focus. Um, and there's a goal and you know there's like rehearsal like we got to make sure we get these songs correct it's not really like that you know it's more freeing of like more open um, and I got involved with them the guitar player used to come to my restaurant all the time and we got to chatting and he's like oh you know yada 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 I'm like oh I play bass and guitar and he's like oh you know we're looking for a bass player he's like why don't you come down so I was like all right cool and so I went and jammed with them and you know the, he was really awesome. The band he played with at that time was really terrible, but he was awesome. And then, <laughs> good uh, to know. <laughs> uh, and then we found James, the keyboard player, who is another Deadhead. Um, granted, I had I list I've heard of the Dead and listened to some Dead, but I wasn't into the Dead until I met these guys. Right. Um, and I was like, well, you know, uh, I really kind of. And then we met when we found Mark, who play also plays drums in this band. And Mark is a the guy's an animal. Um, playing bass with him. Uh, is like playing bass on the wing of a jet plane. You know what I mean? Like he is out of trees, insane back there. Um, <laughs> and I really am blessed to have. I'm really wish he was with us tonight. You know, I'm really blessed to have him a part of this project as well. You know, uh, he really holds it down. Now you mentioned that you were the youngest in this member in this band. Messed that lined up. Uh, but is that a situation you find yourself often is to be the youngest in, in a band? I try to. Um, in my life in general, I try to have 33% of my people be my mentors, 33% of people be my peers, and 33% of people be my mentees. Wow. Um, I was so close just to Just in my general life. Where did that come from? Um, I heard somebody really smart say that before. And uh, the reason for that being is that so you're always growing. You should always have, you should always, you, sh you know, you should always have somebody bringing you up. You should have people that you're coming up with, and you should always be bringing somebody else up. You know, um, it's a nice balance, and it keeps you humble, and it keeps you level, and it, you know, it keeps you going and moving forward. If you're not moving forward, you're moving back, in my opinion. And you know, like that's what I need to grow. I need, you know, I can't, I shouldn't be the smartest guy in the room. You know, all the time, uh, doesn't help me out any. You know, I want to grow. It's interesting. So you you consciously look for older more experienced players to yeah all the time and not even just with music with my life in general I'm always trying to seek out mentors you know I have mentors you know in, in my professional career as well as in, my, in music as well as like my spirituality like you know um, and and peers and mentees and all those situations hmm. now you mentioned that you started playing the blues and jamming with the blues who were some of your, your the, the blues players blues cats that you were listening to uh 
I mean, you know, of course, Muddy Waters. Um, oh, you got some of that swampy stuff, huh? Yeah, you know, um, you know, BB King. I'm a big BB King fan. Um, Howlin' Wolf. You know, I like a lot of that. That. Is this music um, that, that was around the house when you were growing up, or is this something you were introduced once you got into music? Um, I don't know. I dude, I've been introduced to music multiple times over throughout my entire life. When I was in the house growing up, uh, my grandfather listened to a lot of jazz, a lot of classical. Was uh, he a musician himself? Yeah, uh, plays organ and clarinet, and uh, um, so in my grandfather's house was a lot of jazz, a lot of classical, that kind of thing. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, my mother is relatively young. And so she's into whatever was poppy. And so when I was growing up, it was like Big Daddy Kane and like Salt and Pepper and like ACDC <laughs> yeah. and like that kind of stuff, which I also loved, you know. Uh, so, I mean, there was the there was the gamut in my house of, of music growing up. And, and I'm a music I've been a music junkie since I was really, really little and going through CDs and records and tapes and, you know, um, you know recording stuff on cassette off the radio. And, you know, uh, yeah. I, was your grandfather still playing music when you were around? Yeah, yeah, he played music pretty close to the day he died until he was unable to do so. Um, he played the organ, played a lot of old jazz standards, a lot of old jazz. Standards. You know, the, so, there's not so many organ players around here, and that's a shame. No, it's very, I have an organ in my house. Yeah, um, I have his organ, but uh, yeah, we uh, there aren't organ players. It's not a popular thing anymore. Yeah, but, and you feel like it, the organ was a pretty big deal, like back in the '60s kind of stuff. The animals because it was and... it was the pre-keyboard, right, right, right. Because you, now you have keyboards. Now you have digital keyboards that'll give you any sound you could ever want in the world, and people have like a bunch of them. And you know, back then you didn't have that. And what made the keyboard like people like the B three, like the B three organs, those like quintessential sound. But like if you wanted that sound, you had to get a B three, and then you also had to get a Fender Rhodes, and then you had to have a like a regular piano, and then if you wanted to get all these sounds, it was like a lot of stuff to lug around. I mean, I have an organ in my house. Organ weighs five hundred pounds. How'd you get, how'd you get one? Um, it was my grandfather's organ. He bought it uh, brand new in the seventies. He had it my mother's whole life and my whole life. And when he passed, <clears throat> um, it was left to me. And so I pay, my grandmother paid to have it shipped from Arizona, like you know, almost little about almost two years ago. Um, yeah, and it's been in my house ever since. You know, it's been with me my whole life. That's like the focal point of my family is that organ, learning to play on that thing. Yeah. You ever considered taking it out for a for a gig? I'm never. No, no, absolutely not. It doesn't leave my house. You don't understand. I don't know that you understand the size of this thing. Yeah. I mean, this thing is it's it wouldn't fit in this room. What? Oh, you know, like we barely got it in the house. Right. Um, right. We barely got it in the house, and so when she, you know, it, the thing weighs more than five hundred pounds. It's uh, six feet by four and a half feet. I mean, and it's solid wood, um, and it's temperamental. It's only been moved, I think, three times in its entire existence, um, and it needs to be played. You know, like when I first got it, it hadn't been played in a while. Um, since I've played it, um, it's starting to get some life back. But yeah, I would never take it out of there. Mm -hmm. If I ever recorded it, it would, I would have to bring it, bring the recording equipment to my house. How old are you when you start messing around with the with an instrument? Oh, uh, I don't know really young yeah I don't know. before I, memory yeah you know I always sat next to my grandfather where he played the organ I got my first piano when I was six uh, was my piano your first instrument yeah I'm not great I'm not a great piano player it was the first place that I like learned music and learned like theory and stuff um, mm -hmm. I started playing clarinet when I was eight and playing guitar when I was eleven now I heard that the clarinet is deceptively like hard oh it's super hard it's yeah. all about breath control I wasn't very good at it I was the worst clarinet player in my class uh, in fact, I was last chair. As a matter of fact, they had my band teacher 
taught at two schools and so twice a year he would bring both schools together to do one big performance and I was last chair out of all the clarinet players I was actually kind of behind the stage <laughs> I was the worst clarinet player and I practiced really hard I, I really wanted to be a clarinet player um, I remember my parents sold my clarinet and bought me a guitar the rest was I fell in love with guitar the rest was history were there any clarinet players that you were listening to to kind of tap into? Uh, not at the time. I was I was ten, you know. But yeah. now I have like you know I have a lot of that stuff on vinyl, like Benny Goodman and you know. Yeah, now we're talking. Uh, um, stuff like that, you know. Tommy Dorsey. I guess Tommy Dorsey's not a clarinet player, but um, yeah, like that kind of stuff that I've gotten into. You know, now I now I really appreciate it. But it's just not my instrument. I'm a big proprietor of like your instrument finds you. You know, ah, that's an interesting notion. You know, you you yeah. your instrument chooses you. You know, because you could have I could have played anything. I you know, I'm it's musical. like friends. You don't choose your friends. Your friends choose you. Kind of. It's kind so of the instruments kismet. choose you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I play other instruments too, but I mean, like, think about it. I've had a I piano know. in my house my entire life for 29 years, and I'm not that good at it. It didn't. You know, it didn't. Well, how long did me. it take until you trans- transitioned over to guitar? I started playing guitar when I was 11. Um, I started really playing when I was about thir- started my first punk band when I was 13, oh. um, and started taking lessons when I was 17 from Ryan McKay, and then the rest of that we already talked about. You know, right. going into blues and playing in different bands, and yeah. What was the first guitar? Do you remember what what model yeah, was? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was an Epiphone. Epiphone. Uh, Epiphone yeah. acoustic guitar. With my first guitar, steel or nylon? Uh, steel. Steel. Yeah, there is, I think we talked about that actually. Probably because because. Because I, I was learning guitar when we met, and I was learning on steel guitars. Mm-hmm. And we were like, "Yeah, I mean, you got to punish those fingers, get get the, get the blue stuff in that." Because it wasn't until later that I learned that usually these days they tell me when you're gonna start playing guitar, do it in nylon strings. Because it's a wider neck, it's harder to play. Right. Um, I don't care what guitar you start on. I always suggest starting on the shittiest possible guitar that you can find. Yeah. Get the shittiest. <laughs> most beat up piece of shit don't spend any money on it guitar and learn to play on that because okay. if you can play that one well then you can play other ones well when you start like I see I see it at Guitar Center all the time I'm sure you you see a Guitar Center I'm like I'm shopping for gear and I see this like these parents like well, you, well you know little Johnny's in the ninth grade and you know we want to get him a guitar like what's in the salesman like oh get him a Gibson Les Paul you know get him a Gibson Les Paul ah fuck that like Buy him a used guitar. Go on Craigslist. Find a piece of shit beat up. He doesn't even know what he wants. You know, like he doesn't know how to fine tune it or like what's gonna be appropriate for his style later down the road. You know, you're gonna have spent, you know, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars on an instrument that he may not even like. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and then they end up with like a you know four hundred dollar toy. Yeah, yeah, they end up with a four hundred dollar paperweight closet. in their in their room. You know, just takes up space and looks cool. Uh, so yeah, I don't you know for any guitar players out there, if you're learning, just it doesn't matter. You know, find the beat up old guitar. If it doesn't stay in tune, great. You'll learn to keep it in tune. You'll learn how to tune that way. If you just keep tuning it, if it falls out of tune all the time, you know, like you'll learn how to tune. You get really good at it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at. So yeah, I, that's 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 my opinion on it. Um, you know, like they say, they say start on nylon. I started on steel. You know, I don't know. I started on steel too. Uh, I recently got into nylon. Nylon to me, though, now that I've got into nylon, I got into nylon. I was living in San Diego, like playing flamenco and stuff. It's a different Whoa, instrument. What's the story behind that? I knew a guy who played flamenco, and I was like, "That's cool." And so, um, when I was living in San Diego, 
Uh, a lot of guys in San Diego play nylon. Like it's the Jason Mraz thing. Like he played nylon. Really, it's a San Diego thing. It's a San Diego thing. They lot. They, it's a lot of a lot of those cats down there play nylon, and it's a different to me. Like the nylon string guitar and the steel string guitar, they're not even really the same instrument. You play it so differently. Right. right. You know, like you'll never see me play my nylon string guitar with, with a pick, or you very rarely will. You know, I'll, should should not that even been be be strung by a pick? Is that a you, thing? You can. People do. Right. I mean, you know, I, nothing's wrong. Right. Willie Nelson does it. And it right. sounds badass. He has yeah. his old trigger, and he, you know, he plugs it in, and he plays it with a pick. And that he, depends on who you ask, though, what's wrong. Cause yeah, it I does. I took a guitar class. I've been playing guitar for, like, you know, I'm 52. I've been playing guitar since I was 16, just knocking around. I took a class in classical guitar at San Jose City College, and the teacher just told me, he goes, how do you go on stage and play with people? Your timing is bad. You have no technique and stuff. <laughs> And for like a few months, I was just—it yeah. was just—I didn't even want to pick up the guitar and practice, yeah. you know, all this stuff. Um, but as soon as I left that class, it all came back to me. My rhythm playing—I was starting playing open mics and again, and you know, singing and, and all that other stuff. So, you know, some of these guys—it's okay. They, the they, crunch, that crunching is a uh, Kurt yeah. Porter crunching yeah. into a style. That was really loud. So yeah. <laughs> Anyway, go ahead, Jeff. But, but they they want to you know you, they want you to be you know play the Spanish guitar, hold it up a certain way, right? Put your foot on the little pedal and then right. or the little foot. I don't know pedal. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. But and they you know you play a certain. Yeah, way. there's so, like you know they, they should and they tell you to learn to read music. I think right. as a musician. I think everybody should know every musician should know to read music. Music should be soulful and it should come from within you. Well, it's you a know? combination of the two things. This is this is what. No, it has to be soulful. Or it's well, yeah. Good. But here's the thing. I was talking to my guitar teacher like it's we call it music theory it's music theory not music fact right 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 um, the reason that we have music theory is music theory is a is the language of music it's how we speak in music mm -hmm. let's say if you're a writer the more words that you know right the better that you can write the better that you can articulate your feelings if you have a better vocabulary like exactly a bigger vocabulary a larger vocabulary right. and then easier it is for you either easier it is for you to articulate what you need to articulate to get your point across the mm -hmm. same is true with music the more you know, the easier it is for you to articulate your soul. Now, like Jeff said, I mean, it's about your soul. It comes from the, it comes from the heart and the soul first. Um, if you want to be able to articulate that, you need to know your theory. You need to know where it comes from. But remember, it's music theory, not music fact. You know, um, it is art after all. You know, um, whatever sounds good to you, sounds good to you. Uh, you know, if, if you're happy with it and, and you, and I, I think we've talked about this about performance as far as like, you know, if, if you're playing from your best place and if you're from, you know, if, if you're happy with it and, and you're playing for you and you're playing in your zone, guess what? The audience is probably going to feel that, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, more than just playing the right notes. Yeah. I hear you. It's, it's a notion that I, I call it your sound. Like, uh, like it's about you're, you're tapping to your unique sound, your music. I mean, you, you could you could play a variety of genres. You could be the best player in the world, but if you don't have that that your sound, which is you know some your your original soulful mm -hmm. uh, factor, then w what is it really worth to you? Yeah, I I, I, I mean, it's and I've been meaning to ask you because it seems like you've gone through a variety of genres. Do mm -hmm. you feel like you developed developed your sound about now? Or do you feel like you have a long way to go? Oh, uh, dude, I got a I got a, a whole ways to go, you know. We're working on this album, and I'm already thinking about my next album, and it's going to be completely different. It's going to sound like a completely different band. It's going to sound like a completely different... I don't know, you know, like, it's always going to sound like me, like I did it, 
you know, just like I'm talking, it's always gonna sound like my voice, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so, so, I mean, I love. I'm a music fan. Before I'm a musician, I'm a fan first, and I like all music. There's good music and there's bad music, and that's subjective to the ear, to the listener. You know, so what be good and bad to me may or may not be good or bad to you. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't put myself in a box of like, oh, I'm, you know. I'm this kind of player, or I'm that kind of player, or I'm starting this kind of band, or I'm that kind of band. You know, like, the, the dead band is that, but that's different. As far as, like, what I do with my music and what I write, could be anything. I mean, you know, if you ask me what my favorite band is, that can change from day to day, from week to week, from hour to hour, moment to moment, year to year. You know what I mean? Like, it just does. Um, I don't know. You know, like, music is... I identify with so many different types of music. You know, I love hip-hop. I love... You know, I love a good pop song. I love me a good pop song. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, I even love me a little ghetto like trap song. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, what's that? What's that Drake tune I like? It started from the bottom, now we here. You know what I'm saying? I love that shit. You know, but I also like classical music and I like jazz and I like blues and I like reggae and I like you know, um, I I like death metal if I'm you know like, you know, bring on the black metal. You know, like I'm all about. You know, like I don't know. I I love music, so it's it's hard to like. I don't know. I I don't put myself in a box that way. I don't think that I would write. You know, I'm not. I when I write a song, I don't go like, all right, I'm gonna write a I'm gonna write a jazz tune. You know, I'm gonna write a blues tune. No, I just write a song that like comes from my soul. You know, you know where I write most of my music. Where? Watching television mm-hmm. and during commercials. Usually sports games. I watch a lot of sports, and so. Usually during commercials, I'll put the TV on mute and I'll just play, and I'll be kind of riffing around, and like, oh, that's a cool lick, and the TV may not come off mute. And the cool thing about watching the sports is I can watch sports with the mute on and play guitar at the same time. I'm trying to picture this. Hold on. So you're watching a game, and yeah. the commercials come on. You mute it, and are you are you kind of being influenced a bit by the commercials, and you're trying to do like this. No, I'm just jamming on my yeah. guitar. I call it noodling. I'm just noodling. Noodling. Noodling on I, my guitar. You I know like what that. Mean? Noodling. Too noodle. Yeah, I'm just fidgeting, you know, just jamming around on the motherfucker. And then, you know, if uh, something comes out, something comes out. Something like, oh, that's a cool little lick. And then maybe it goes from there. And then maybe, you know, I don't know, I get into the zone. And sometimes I can hear, you know, I'll hear the whole thing in my head all of a sudden. And there it is. Hmm. Um, so do you feel like uh, when it comes to songwriting, you, you kind of go melody first? I don't know. I couldn't give you a specific answer on that. Because you know? there, there is, you know, music playing, as a, and then there's songwriting. I, I, e- I, e- I, each have their own universe. I wish I had a better answer for you because I don't. Right. I don't have like a, I don't necessarily have a, a, a specific process. Um, you know, like, I songs just kind of f- fall out of me sometimes. I don't know. I, you know, I just... Sometimes it just, like I said, I'm just noodling, and then all of a sudden I have a song written. Um, I was, Leslie and I were talking the other day, I was going through my album, and there's a song on my album, like, I don't remember writing that song. I remember playing it, but I don't ever remember, like, I don't remember where I was when I wrote it. I don't remember, you know, what I was thinking or feeling. I don't remember where I was living. I remember I was living in San Diego, but I couldn't tell you what apartment I was living in. You know, just a song that became a part of my repertoire after so long you know because um, I was actually th- I was thinking about this the other day I was like where did, where did all these songs come from you know I don't know I you know I don't know um, they're not really for me at a certain point you know like they I guess they are initially but you know I mean and I enjoy I love playing my songs you know I, I don't know 
weird. I don't have. A, I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't give you a specific answer. You know, I wish I hear people out there that are like, oh, you know, I was inspired by this, or, you know, I, this, this, you know, this happened to me, so I wrote a song about it. I don't know. I don't. I don't really identify that way, necessarily, all the time. Sometimes over the, my songs over the years change what they mean to me. You know, or like uh, certain songs are relevant over and over and over again. Like, oh, I'm experiencing this again. You know, like, oh, it's not okay again. You're like, oh, you know, it's not okay. There it is. Another shitty experience with another shitty person. You know, it's like, you know, and I guess like any other, like I would relate any other song to my life. You know? So your, your process is pretty much just keep writing songs. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, just you gotta keep doing it. And one good one's bound to come out, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess I don't put that much thought into it. Um, it's a lot of confidence as well. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a multi-million dollar. You know, my job doesn't depend on it. <laughs> my livelihood doesn't depend on whether I write a hit song or not. You know, so uh, nothing matters. It doesn't matter. It does, you know, it doesn't hold any weight. That mm. um, was it. Always like this, or was it something that developed later? What songwriting? Yeah. Uh, I've always written songs. Yeah, I've written songs since I was a kid. Right, but I first started playing. Yeah, but were you always like, all right, like I some of the songs I still play. Right, but but were you always like, you know, all right, it's it's not thinking about it too much, because there's some people that would take like months to to work on a song. Well, so, I mean, not all songs are finished either. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got I still have songs in my head that are like half finished, like just kind of melodies that I have. You know, like. I got this chorus in my pocket somewhere, this riff I've been fucking with, or, you know, um, and all of a sudden one day it finishes, or maybe it never does. I don't know. You know, I have songs from when I was young, from that I wrote when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, that I still play, you know, that I could probably still pull out of my head somewhere, you know. And then there's songs that I wrote not that long ago that I couldn't, re- I couldn't remember them. I couldn't tell you. Is there any themes to your songwriting that you feel like you sometimes go back to? Uh, I I uh I write a lot about pain and hope via the pain. I think is a very is very common thread, particularly in this in the album that we're working on. Um, hope via pain. I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't know. Can you emphasize on both? No, you have to listen to the album. It'll make more sense to you. <laughs> No, I mean, like, is this some personal pain or is this pain about, you know, exterior in things? Who knows? It's in in a, general pain? In general. Very in general, yeah. Um, you know, pain can t- manifest itself in many different ways. But there's no, like... I don't know, man. I feel there's something more to it. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Yeah. Now, is, what makes this upcoming album different from previous works you've done? Uh, we're going to do a live album. Um, <clears throat> I don't like to record. I hate recording. Mm-hmm. I can relate. I, I, I know a lot. Of, For different reasons. It's maybe. not a common... What, why is that? How come you don't like recording? I don't get my best performance in the studio. I feel like it's really canned. Um, you know, I, I, I get really nervous, which is weird because I, I'm not a person... I'm very comfortable on stage. 
you know, I've been performing my whole life, and so I'm very comfortable, like, in front of an audience. But to, like, put me in a room and with headphones on and in a vocal booth is, like, very frightening to me. And, you know, like, there's a lot of pressure to get it right, and I'm overthinking it, and I'm not, I have a hard time. I have a hard time being in the moment, mm-hmm. as opposed to where, like, if I'm performing, it's very easy for me to be in the moment because I have to, right? Like, I'm performing in front of however many people, and it's very easy for me to just to settle into that moment. Um, it's like you need something to feed off from. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. Um, and I guess there's, there's, I don't know, it's the right kind of pressure when I'm live. I think some people are opposite. Some people hate playing live but love recording in the studio. Uh, I am opposite. You know, I hate, I hate playing live. I mean, I hate playing in the studio. Um, I guess if I had my own studio, it would probably be different, but I don't. So, like, when I pay money and I make a trip and the day of it, you got to hope, like, all right, today's the day that I'm going to play the best performance ever. Give me the best performance of this song ever. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nerve wracking. So, um, what we're doing, we're doing a live album, and uh, we are doing it's one kind of one body of music. It's seven songs, but we're treating it as one body. Um, uh, and so, we've designed it with a little bit of theatrics to where um, it's going to it's going to move all in one place, um, and it tells one story. Um, and these are a group of songs that I kind of pulled together over the years. You know, like. I've had some of these songs for a long time. Um, it's a it's scratching the surface on the songs that I have, you know. So, uh, but we've been working really, 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 really hard on it, and uh, you know, we still have a little, we still have a ways to go. But have you recorded any albums before? Never full length albums. Never no. full length. Uh, not on my own. I've done albums with other bands as a sit in player, as a bass player. Mm-hmm. I've done albums um, as a session guy, but never like my own stuff. I've mm-hmm. recorded on my own, but. Um, yeah, I guess it's singing I don't like in the studio. I can play bass and play guitar in the studio. I'm pretty good at that. You know, like playing to click and recording. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. It's the singing in the studio I don't like. How, how do you develop your singing? Uh, that's a good story. Um, so I was a player for a long time. You know, played a ton of bands. Um, after I played, you know, after I was playing guitar, I, I moved to bass for a little while when I was about twenty. Um, and I, I love the bass. Bass is probably my favorite instrument. Last night or a couple nights ago, we I told you I got a bass. You did. Uh, even as I was back. No. Yeah. I have to play a little. So bass yeah. is probably my favorite instrument to play. Uh, and I, but bass is a different deal. It's a different. You know, as a guitar player, I'm usually front guy. You know, as a bass player, you're not. You're in the back. You know, but you're important. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I like I like the groove and I like. So I played with a lot of bands. I played with you know I did a lot of session work, a lot of sit in work, a lot of like, you know. Um, a lot of like gig work where you know there was a time I was playing in a jazz band an R&B band and a country band and they were all cover bands so I was making money like a little bit of money you know because um, I was in an area where they had a lot of bands and you could play you know there's not a lot of bass players out there and if you're a bass player um, that can sing any you know um, you always have a gig uh, so when I mo- I moved to San Diego five years ago um, I got really fed up with musicians. I don't really like most musicians. Why? They're flaky. A lot of musicians think that they're rock stars before they're actually rock stars. Right. Um, they don't understand the concept of, like you have to rock harder than you party, which means you have to actually work if you want to become a rock star. Um, you know, if you party harder than you rock, then you're just going to be a drunk or whatever. Um, and you're not going to get accomplished what you want to get accomplished. Um, I feel like I'm a harder worker than most people, just generally in my life. Um, and most musicians have poor work ethic. Not saying all, but a lot of musicians do. Why do you think that is? It's an artist. It's an know, artist thing. It's an artist thing. Um, 
you know, late. It's a different uh, personality type. You know, it's usually different personality types that are are musicians. You know, I think I'm more of the, uh, and it's weird that I am a creative because I think I'm definitely more of like the, uh, you know, the right brain or you know the right brain like logical. You know, I'm pretty regimented and pretty routine, and you know, I like math and science and shit like that. <laughs> but, but why 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 can't they mix? Why can't I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I'm a guitar player. I don't know. I just know that I get really frustrated working with a lot of musicians sometimes. So, um, <laughs> well, chemistry is important. And chemistry, and, is important. and that's something you find in the blues when you're jamming. Yeah, it, it is is well, it's different there because you have to force yourself to have good chemistry. Well, even in some like situations. even like my dead guys, I have great chemistry with them. I love playing with them. They're probably they're the best. Some of the best players I've ever played with. To get them to like commit to something. I tried to get them to play in my band and do my music, and they were like, eh, you know, like they kind of halfway agree. They're like, eh, I just could do. I like, Dick. back to square one. We'll just keep that project what it is, and I love it for what it is. Um, so, like I said, I, I don't, I don't. So, well, here's what happened. So, I moved to San Diego, and I decided like <laughs> I'm tired of being I'm tired of dealing with other musicians because I've always written songs. And what I used to do is I would attach myself to good singers, and I would go, okay, so I write these songs for them. Um, two things happened to me playing in bands, uh, playing original music that I didn't like, was one, of course, work ethic that we talk about, and the second, you take your song to a band, and the band goes, eh, and like you pour your heart and your soul and everything into this song, and you go like, all right, band, like what do you think? And they're like, oh, well, we don't really like it. I had a band tell me, there's a band I was in, I was, uh, I won't mention the name, I was playing in this band for quite some time, and I wrote the majority of the songs, and not because I'm this dictator that's like, I write all the songs, it's just, I happen to be the guy that wrote the most of the songs. And they came to me one day, and they're like, we should write, we think we need to write better songs. But you guys didn't write any songs, so what you're telling me is that I need to write better songs. So... Fuck a, off. Well, that's a big fuck you. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. So I was like, you know what? Fuck that. Fuck yeah. that shit. <laughs> so I moved to San Diego. I was like, I'm going to take some singing lessons because I'm going to learn I'm gonna learn to sing well and I'm going to be my own singer. I'm already my own guitar player. I'm going to be my own singer. So before San Diego, being the front man wasn't a thing yet. No, I was just a bass player and lead guitar player if I was playing with people. You know, I would sing backups. You know, like I sang lead in a couple punk bands and stuff like that, and like rock and roll bands, but right. you don't really need to have pipes to do that. Right, and I never was a good singer, and so I wasn't necessarily comfortable doing that. So I, that's why I would I would, I would attach myself on to other singers. Um, and now you're here in San Diego. What, why, why did you go to San Diego? Pretty girls and palm trees. Oh, that's a good reason. And, and, and you were there, and, and then you're like, I got to develop my my voice. Yep. And so I would I was going to I went to open mics every single day. Every single day I went to open mics, sometimes two. And I I get really nervous singing in front of people, so I just kept going. And so I kept I, kept, I took some singing lessons, and I kept. Um, I kept going to open mics and I kept going to open mics and I kept singing and I kept singing and I kept listening to what everybody had to tell me about how to sing and eventually I got better. Um, you know, and I still don't consider myself to be a great singer. I just consider myself to be a competent singer and I'm really not that competent if I have to sing with other people and that's why I have Leslie because she backs me up and makes me sound good. Right. You know, as long as I'm in tune with Leslie, then she makes it all sound good. You know, so I still kind of like pad that a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, so, you know, uh, and I've also learned, like, you don't have to be a great singer to to be effective with your music. You just represent your songs in the best way that they need to be represented. You know, you don't have to be, there's plenty of great singers out there that don't do great work. It's probably, look at Bob Dylan. He was the worst singer of all time. Yeah. 
ever. Yeah, <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a terrible singer. It's horrible. Um, you know. But what made him so great? He he had that sound. He had great. He, he had great songs. Yeah, great songs. He had great songs. He identified with people. You know, well, songs that pertain to him and his style, and well, in his life, right, right, so, and others as well. Yeah, and people. So people, his first. So he, people identified with that, mm-hmm. right? So if you do what's true to you, instead of trying to do what could potentially be true to others, so that's what he did. He was doing what was true to him, and other people identified with that, and they saw that in him, you know. Rather than him trying to go like, you know, like what they what they do now is like, what do we think people are gonna like? Like, fuck what people are gonna like. Just do what you do, and people are either gonna like it or they're not gonna like it. And some people are gonna love it, some people are gonna hate it. You yeah. know, fifty yeah. percent of everybody's gonna think you suck. <laughs> you mean, like regardless, of it's funny you say that. You like I'm getting ready for the show this Saturday, yeah. And I, I asked somebody, I was like, oh dude, like I'm, I'm am I singing and all this? And they're like, dude, hurry, stop being an asshole, just get get up there and sing. Right. Don't worry like, about it. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like. Who gives a shit if they like it or not? You're performing. Like, that's that's it. The first time I ever sang, I had a, I had an old Mexican dude tell me, I was probably 18 years old, this old Mexican guy, drunk as fuck, had a guitar, and I was playing. He's like, do you sing? I'm like, no, I don't sing. He's like, you can talk, you can sing. He's like, speak to me like I'm at the other side of a football field. And that was like how I started singing. I wasn't very good at it at that time, but he said, he said don't yell. Don't yell. Speak to me as, as as if I was on the other side of a football field. Right. And I've carried that with me my whole life. Uh, and were there any principles that you learned uh, when, you're div- when you're taking uh, voice lessons in San Diego? Uh, I learned some basic stuff, vowels and that kind of thing, where I really learned uh, seeing when I came up here to the Bay Area and I started taking lessons from a woman named Jennifer Shapiro. Uh, if you guys are out there and you want some singing lessons, go to Jennifer Shapiro. Tell her I sent you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's the best there is. Um, she was really brutal with me, both in my singing and in my personal life. And she almost made me... I'm a grown man, and I'm almost 30 years old, and she almost made me cry several times in front of my bass player. Holy shit. Yeah. But, hey, you got to get that shit out. Singing comes from within. So, like, certain, there's certain things in our personal spiritual world physical world that we have to like manifest in order to get our voice out um although one of the biggest things she did teach me was like a enunciation and b um how to tell the story instead of sing the notes Mm -hmm. right one of the things she taught me was that um you know once you once you can hit the notes now now you're just now instead of like trying to hit the notes every time have a music video in your head of every lyric on that sheet and she broke down all of my songs and went, you know, like, okay, let's really think about this. What does this mean? And when you think about it and you're telling that story, not only can you memorize it better, but it's coming across more impactful. Like, for example, uh, if you're hitting a large note, right? Let's say you want to hit a really long note, right? You want the note to move. You don't want it to be stagnant. Because I can hit a long note and go, I and think some of my listeners might might be like, well, "What is that?" Did, did, and that might be really. <laughs> did something <sad>. cut off? <laughs> there's, there, it's a long note, right? And it may be in tune, yeah. But there's no there's uh there's no emotional content, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not moving anywhere, mm-hmm. right? So say if you want to hit a long note, you want to hit that full long note all the way through and develop some develop a music for it, you know a video for it in your head. She always says like a three step process. Oh, to like, visualize your music. To visualize it, yeah. right? So you're sitting in the chair, you're across from the girl. She gets up, she turns around, 
she walks out the room and you hold that note out until she leaves the door right so think about that in your head and you go ah. right and it goes somewhere and you're following the note all the way through. It's like it's like your you're, sound is leaving. Your sound is leaving. Got it. And you're physically putting it somewhere. Oh. And you're visualizing it and you're emotionally feeling that. You're emotionally feeling her like leave you and walk out that door. You know? Instead of just hitting that note. Like that's that 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 should be emotional content. There's a reason yeah. you're singing that note for so long. Yeah. You know, because she comes from like theater, opera, you know, where you where there is emotional content and it's you know, it's in the script, <laughs> you know, so you got to find that. So yeah, that was probably the biggest thing I learned about singing, you know, and how to articulate, you know, how not to, how to sing in my own accent. And, you know, sometimes as songwriters, you want to manipulate words mm-hmm. to like make them rhyme or whatever. Like what language do you speak? <laughs> you know, you speak English, you know, like I don't speak in other languages, you know, I speak English, you know, Espanol? no, hmm. you know. Now I'm curious, Leslie, you're like the best singer in the room. You concur with his theory? I definitely do. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just waited for her to come. I was like, no, it's the opposite. It's totally opposite. No, we we have that. Her and I have those conversations a lot about you know articulation and you know especially when you sing with another singer, mm-hmm. you we we have to be very particular about where our harmonies sit, where our words end. You know, say we're saying you know like chest, you know like if if I go and she goes. Like a millisecond later, you're gonna hear that. You know, making sure our articulate our articulations are the same. You know, uh, I think a lot of people, particularly pop singers, were they're taught to like sing all over the place. You mm-hmm. know, and use all this vibrato and you know, and really all this fancy, all this fancy stuff. Bells and you, whistles. You well, keep it simple. They're lacking the emotional. Content. They're lacking emotional. So that's the thing when you're you a really good singer. Simple. You can be sometimes you tend to be lazy with it. You can be like, well, I can just sing the song and just kind of relax and kind of be in my own head and articulate the words. If you're not words. feeling each word, then you can, you, as a listener, you definitely feel that that per- the person's a great singer, but you're not really getting we also emotional under- engagement from them. We want to understand you. We want to hear what we you know. Use right. your consonants. Some singers just only sing vowels. They don't sing any consonants. Right, because your consonants would close the note. You know, that's how we articulate. You want to hear the best singers in the world? The best singers in the world are on Broadway. Yeah, dude. You know, and it's, those, and what makes them so good? What those makes people them so are polished, superhuman, dude. I don't know how they do it. It's articulation. Yeah, it's they're polished. That's yeah. that's where the polished comes in is the articulation. You know, them able to they're, they're saying their words. They're they're using their their language. Mm-hmm. Their full articulation. You know, full pronunciation of these words. And they're using their are their consonants. Yeah. They're singing the vowels. They're getting every note out of the vowel, and they're closing that note with the consonant. I used to work as an usher in downtown San Jose, <clears throat> and we used to get some of the touring Broadway, like the, the traveling Broadway shows. Yeah, and I'm like these, these people are like dancing and they're running, and and, and, they, and all while singing in their music and acting. And they have a band who sometimes have to react to what's happening on stage. It's like these these people are superhuman. This they also is, rehearse a lot. They rehearse a lot. Yeah, it's like wow, but but it just hit me. It's like yeah, I think Broadway singers. Wow, I I, I never th- thought about that because the the norm is best singers. I don't know something classical and operatic or whatever the fuck. But it's like yeah, Broadway. I I think you're also you're onto too, something. If when you're on a stage, um, you have to over articulate your words that doesn't sound normal, so that way the it flows out into the theater, right? So Leslie and I are learning this right now because we're 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 in a theater production right now. And uh, so if you're if when you're acting on stage, it sounds odd to you, yeah. But like 
you know, I have this idea, and you say it all, you know, elongated, and you're like, that sounds very unnatural, but you want your you want that sound to get all the way to the back room you know we want to we want to be able to make sure that the guy sitting in the last row all the way back by the fucking bar can hear what the hell you're saying and can make it out instead of just mumbled up words which you know is not natural to speak that way so you would sing the same way you know big articulation over you know over exaggerating those words and those vowels and those consonants and those syllables to make sure that um you know, people can understand what you're saying. So you say that good singing has emotional content behind it. Yeah. Uh, is this something that you need to mentally prepare yourself when you're performing? Because I'm pretty sure you've probably been in a gig or two where you're, you're just not feeling it. Or, yeah. Or, or does I, it come easily to you? Most of the time it comes pretty easily to me, but I've certainly had those gigs where I'm on stage for five seconds. And I'm like, I want to be off stage now. How, how do you deal with that? Uh, not well. I'm not. I don't deal with that well. I don't like. You know. You, you storm you, off or something? Or? No, I'll play the set. I'm not happy. You know. Sometimes I don't know. It depends. It depends. I've never stormed off the stage before. Um, I've stormed off the stage after my set was done and got in my car and left and not <laughs> said anything to anybody. But Whoa, what's the story behind that one? I mean, I've done that multiple times. If I, you know, like the band's not right or something's something is just so horribly, you know, I've had I had a band. I was playing with this band one time, and the guitar player stormed off stage in the middle of the set. Right, he stormed off. I'm like, well, I look at the other guitar player. I'm like, well, there's still we gotta finish this gig. We're getting paid. Yeah, you know. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing like 20 minutes later. And the drums stop, and I turn around, and the guitar player is fighting with the drummer. At which point, I then packed my gear and went home. What's the story behind that? I don't know. They were just too. I don't know. They were didn't get along with each other sometimes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some people are crazy. I don't know. Is it is it is it the classical drummer versus frontman uh, guitarist? I don't know. Uh, They're feud? just two dudes that live together and work together, and I don't know. You know, people are people. Um, it is what it is. They're still very close friends to this day. That was like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still close friends with those guys to this day. I don't play music with them anymore. Um, that was the last... You learned your lesson, That right? was the last gig I ever did with them. I was like, you know, I'm not playing with you guys anymore uh, after that. Um, but, um, you know, usually, you know, my I like to... I try to get in the zone... Um, when I'm on stage and just try to be in a place where I'm just in tune with what's going on and I'm focused on um, the song and the music video in my head to sing the song. Uh, I get frustrated if the band isn't there with me, right? I think that's when I make the most of my mistakes is when the band makes mistakes. Um, you know, and then I'm like, ah, I fucking made a mistake. And then I think, I'm like, ah, now I made a mistake because I was thinking about that guy's mistake, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, you move on. As long as you don't stop playing, you just keep going. You know, you're going to have mistakes in gigs sometimes. It depends. Sometimes ones are more severe than others. You know, music, nobody's going to die as a result of what is happening on stage. You know, some people's jobs have that. <laughs> you know, if somebody makes a mistake, people lose their lives um, and careers and their money. And, you know, none of that stuff, it's not that big of a deal. Um, so. Now, you seem to have done some vast traveling. I mean, you and, and you performed in, in a variety of of crowds, mm -hmm. and uh, and it seems like you, you're pretty prominent here in, in the open mic scene. I guess so. Um, have you always been uh, like uh, actively bike? engaged in the open mic scene? Uh, I wasn't when I was in San Diego. I love that. Oh, that San Diego open mic scene is great. 
you know, yeah. there would probably would have been. It's odd. It's it's opposite of here, right? So here, there's a lot of open mics. Um, there's a lot of non-open micers at open mics. There's like like a lot of audience members like, hey, let's go check out an open mic, and like people are like really open to it here. Like, here or in San Diego? No, here. Here, really? Like, yeah, I think that the the average audience member is really open to open mics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of open mic goers out here, right? Uh, what there's not a lot of in the Bay Area, at the op- what you don't see a lot of at the open mics is talent. Mm. Um, you see, because a lot of people think that they can do it. Music is very popular. Like the arts are very popular in Northern California. So, but, but how high of a standard should a talent be at a open? Well, mic? no, none. The mic is open. Right. I think that no matter what, if it's your first day or any, the mic is open. I'm a firm believer in that. I don't care who you are. If you all have the balls to get up there and use that mic, the mic is open. Right, because I understand that in a showcase or or, or a and gig, I, and I, you, and you, you got to be in pretty top form. And I'll never knock anybody for going on stage and 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 using the open mic. It's open, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but what I'm saying is is that you don't see a lot of like I don't go to a lot of open mics in the Bay Area uh, and see an overwhelming majority of people that blow my mind. Mm-hmm. Mostly it's it's amateurs, like, you know, which is great, you know, and I'm full support of that, you know. In San Diego, you go to open mics, uh, there is nobody else at the open mic but other open micers, like nine open micers, right? Right. Uh, but these guys are incredible. I've sat in these empty rooms going like, oh, whoa, and turned around and been like, there's nobody else here. Yeah. I... I got blessed to have that moment. I can't believe that I this person sang for me in that way, you know. And that it doesn't happen to me as much up here. But because of that, the San Diego community is like the music community is really tight with itself, and they pump out a, they pump out a lot of action out of San Diego. I mean, Jason Mraz, um, you know, Jules out of San Diego. Uh, you know, they're putting out a couple of young up and comers right now. Um, now, why do you feel? Talent is, it seems like it's a, a, a higher form over there than here. The is, is it the, the community smaller and smaller. more and more? Um, is it proximity to, do you think, to the whole LA scene? Uh, maybe. I don't think so. I don't think it has anything to do with that. Um, I think there's a lot of talent in the Bay Area. I just think the Bay Area is really big and that. Um, Oh, I see. It's too big where everything's spread out. Everything's spread out. Right. Okay. So, like, even open mics here, they're kind of clicky. Like, you know, outside of the few of us that go to a lot of open mics, like, all right, there's all the people that go to this open mic, there's all the people that go to that open mic, there's all the people that go to this open mic, and you don't see, like, in San Diego, it's like, there's open micers, and we all go to every open mic. That's interesting. You know? I mean, I mean mics was the open mics. I, I, I do see familiar faces in different sure. open mics. You know, but there's certainly clicks at each open mic. Like, oh, that's the Red Rock crew. All right, that's the Friscotti crew. That's the Blue Rock crew. That's the, you know, Cafe Lift crew. That's the, you know, you certainly see that. There's nothing wrong with that, but that as, as a product of its environment of just the barrier just being so large. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm a, big, I'm a fan of that as far as, like, there's a lot of access points. Yeah. Right? But it makes the community hard to build. So like San Diego, you have a very small open mic community, but they're very tight with each other, and they're all about pumping each other up. It's a community. It's not like L.A. where it's like dog-eat-dog, right? It's a community. So they're about bringing each other up and, and, and helping each other out. I, I took so many free lessons at coffee shops at 2 o'clock in the morning, you know, with other guitar players in San Diego and other singers and other songwriters, and, you know, like there was a lot of that going on of like the older generation and, you know, 
mentoring the younger guys and younger girls and you know so uh, you're not feeling support here in the local open mic here um not as much i think within the last year or so there's been more of that i think this i think san jose is getting is within the last year or so there's been this like kind of surge of like this scene that i've seen since mm-hmm. i've been here um you know uh, I think about. I, would you agree with that? You know, I think the last year and a half, there's been uh, yeah, all, there's been I all, agree. There's been this, there's more venues now. There's more uh, venues. There's more of. Yeah. Uh, there's, well, keep in mind, more for the our cultures coming together. For our generation of musicians, there's new menus because I got a lot of older cats who are like, dude, like back in the '90s, there's a lot of venues too. Yeah, but you I've know, heard that. the city fucked up those things. But like for us, it, it's kind of new. It's coming back. And, it's coming and, back, um, but in it, from what I hear from older people. It's like it, it's a lot more um, compared to 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 the, to the '90s punk scene and to the metal scene here in San Jose, you know, like the Cactus Club and all that all that stuff. It, it's it's different now. They say it's it's a lot more. Uh, I feel like there's more acoustic acts than there is rock and roll acts these days. Well, that's true, but there's because yeah. there's no platform for a rock band to play. And Jeff Ochoa is giving me a disapproving thumbs down for that. He's not digging He's it. He's a rock band but, guy. But I hear yeah, you, man. But, and so am I. For me, ideally, I, I, I love I, good rock band. You know, but there's there's not a venue yeah. for that, right? Right. right. Well, what, what clubs that is. used to clubs that used to play rock bands like, yeah. you know, you don't even see like cover bands playing it at bars anymore. Yet they have a DJ. Mm-hmm. You either have a DJ. Or you have an open mic, right? We're either gonna we're either gonna pay the DJ a little. We're gonna pay the DJ like a hundred bucks, mm-hmm. <laughs> hundred fifty bucks, or we're gonna have an open mic where the musicians are gonna come or a showcase or like where the musicians are gonna come play for free because what you do is not valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so sad because I know the the recent closure of Johnny V's yeah. is really saddened to me because jo- jo- I mean as people ha- have his judgment about Johnny V's of what it is, but it was a space for people to fully rock out. To, 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 to whatever uh, electric sounds they can give. Now it's just the caravan. I mean, you can say the Ritz and you can say other places, but... I hate the caravan. They, uh... They, uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. The caravan's not that bad. Yeah. Really, but, they, they still have... I don't like places that charge a cover. Oh. Well, they charge... That's like a majority for, of the places. For, for the, the, the touring bands. And that's on the touring bands. But usually there's no cover. But San Jose's always been this kind of... It's always been a, a, like a rock town with the clubs. The clubs in Santa Cruz and in San Francisco are more encouraging to original music. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because a lot of the, the bars don't pay their ASCAP and BMI fees. So, mm-hmm. you know, so music, original music like that is going to thrive. San Jose has always been like a comfort food music right. thing. And that's what I think a lot of this acoustic stuff is. It's it's big right now. Everybody wants to be Jason Mraz. And right. Who's the other acoustic guy? John Mayer. John Mayer, you know. and Just the you, worst for me. I'm sorry. Go, I don't, I'm not a fan any, of John Mayer. Yeah, oh, I love John Mayer. You go to any Good open mic that's and there's going to be a couple of Taylor Swift copies no. and a couple of uh, guys that want to be Jason Mraz. Right. And I want to be Jason Mraz. Any given Monday, you can go and see some guy with an acoustic guitar, and he's going to sing about the girl that got away and stuff. Right, right. And you know, and then after he's gone, there's going to be another well, guy. Senior. The same thing. So, so look, it's kind of no, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's my father offering beer yeah. again. Very hospitable, thank you, sir. It it gets tiring. Yeah. I used to run an open mic about five years ago, mm-hmm. and it was the same thing. Yeah. And you see people that are still. They were really good, and then you know they 
we all work in Silicon Valley, so there's this pressure to just keep going and, and work and stuff. And they yeah, stop the Bay Area is a grind. It's a grind it's out a grind here, man. Out it's a here. different. It's a different thing. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've traveled a lot of places, and you know, if you can make it here in the Bay, so I'm like determined not to leave. You know? <laughs> it's a challenge I'm for like, you. You know, uh, I just can't <laughs> give up yet. You know, like right. this place beats my ass. I don't know, time. man. It could yeah. be a white whale. To some people, they give it up. Other people see hope, though. Other people be like, yeah. you know, there's, there's opportunities a lot of, out there's there. There's a lot of opportunity when you yeah. when you look at it in that in that realm now i'm not in tech i like i'm a tech fan but i'm not i couldn't you couldn't i could never do that job you couldn't put me in an office i just can't be on my i can't be stuck that way i know mm. myself uh, and i just don't have that i don't have that talent and i'm not that sharp um and it's not something i would want to do even if i was but that's majority of what people do here. And I think that's really cha- probably changing the culture of San Jose. I mean, I don't know. I haven't lived here my whole life. I, I feel it. I feel it. Yeah. I mean, shit, where you where we sit right now. Yeah. I mean. Dude, this, w- this when is... my family moved here, that Samsung building and all those apartments were not even here. Right. Nah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's changing. We are right on top of Silicon Valley. I mean, if you own a, anything electronic, that shit is made, designed, and up maintenance, maintenance, maintained. Right here, within blocks of where we sit right now. Yeah. Um, and by and large, engineers aren't necessarily social people. <laughs> you know, by and large, they're introverts and they're, you know, um, that's just kind of the community of, of, of those type of people that thrive at that kind of job. Now, are you playing that's harmful for an artistic scene or a musical yeah. scene? Yeah, it's not good for artistic or music scene at all. Do, do, also, do you not see of, a way of, of, of cohesion? Also, the amount of money, I think, drives out the art scene, mm-hmm. right? The amount of money that comes here, i.e. ghost ship, right? When you have that much money that comes here, what happens to your art community? Because art doesn't pay. We all know that. We're artists. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean You're not making any money. You do what you do because you love to do it. You know, we're not in it for the money. If we're in it for the money, you're in the wrong business, right? Uh, so, I mean, if, if the... The area is so prominent and there's so much money here that the art community can't afford to live here. Where do you think it's going to go? It's not going to, you know, it's going to go to Portland where it's affordable to live, right? They have to. You know, the, the, I predict that the art, I mean, think about, look at San Francisco. The San Francisco that we all know and love, the hate Nashbury, Grateful Dead, you know, hippie, you know, art center of the world is not that anymore. You go to San Francisco, it's yuppies, man, you know? It's uh, gentrified. It's gentrified. Yeah. Now, Oakland's getting gentrified. Once again, i.e. ghost ship, right? Oakland's gentrified. So Oakland ain't as bad. Oakland's actually pretty cool. It's become this little hipster area, but it's only a matter of time before, like, yeah, that it's could... It's really expensive. It's very expensive to live in Oakland, right? Same in San Jose. It's extremely expensive it's to live here. more expensive than San Jose. You know? Uh, well, it's just like San Jose. Yeah. It's, it's getting... You know, the whole Bay Area is getting more expensive. And so what's happening to the lower-income community? It's getting pushed out. Um, and guess who's a part of the lower income community? Artists and musicians. We're a part of that uh, because we what we do doesn't make a lot of money, particularly here. I mean, dude, we you're sitting right now, Jorge, on the world's most expensive real estate. Yeah, I know it. The world in the world. Yeah, not just like you know California or even the country. In the world is the most valuable real estate that we're having this podcast in right now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And we're a group of people trying to do music, which pays nothing, even pays less than what it ever did, right? Like, it used to be back in the day that record labels just robbed musicians. Now there's nothing to rob. There's no money. I mean, people get all their music for free. 
what are you as a musician? You're a glorified teal shirt, t-shirt salesman, right? Yeah. Well, what me? Yeah, specifically, yeah. all of us as yeah. a musician. Are you a musician? You artist? Comedian? I don't know. That, that's whatever it is that you do. That's yeah. You are a glorified t-shirt salesman, especially mm. if you're a musician. It costs you more money to make your make your record than you're ever going to make off it. You know? Right. We're making this album. It's going to cost us like five grand. We're never going to make five grand off it. You know what I mean? It's going to cost us two grand just to master and press it, right? We're never going to make our... Never in a million years... We maybe, you know, who knows? It might go viral, but more than likely, we're not going to make our money back, right? So let's say we want a tour or uh, or even play gigs, you know? It's going to cost us more to play that gig or to go on tour than any money that any club's going to pay us, right, to do that. So we're going to lose money right there, you know? At least with your record, you might break even. You might at least sell a bunch of copies to your friends and family, and you might break even on your record, mm-hmm. right? Now, now what do you do? So what's your other option? Merchandising, t-shirts. T-shirts is where you make the money. You Merch, can buy yeah. t-shirts for $3 a pop. You can sell them for 10 You know, some bands have gotten really good at it. The, the merch, the pins, the, you know, all the other little stuff, you know, the branding. I mean, if you look back at, like, bands like Kiss and The Grateful Dead, you know, what made them so successful was their branding. You know, if you want to go to music, get a marketing degree. Hey, <laughs> business. there you go. <laughs> um, well, you're a t-shirt salesman. It's it's that point of the podcast. We we reached an hour. Great, we're there. We did. Told you. Told you we'll make it. I felt longer than an hour yeah. actually. Yeah. Did it? Uh-huh. Anyway, I, I do this thing with musicians. I ask them, talk to me about the evolution of your you as a guitar player. Tell me your, your I think tell me a bit of your first guitar to okay. what guitar you're playing now. Guitars. Yeah. Okay. So fuck. All right. So my first guitar. Uh, was an Epiphone. It was like a, my mom got me this like Epiphone acoustic guitar, and it came with a case. It came with an instructional VHS video on how to play guitar. Oh, that's great! <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> got the full package. Uh, it came with a guitar book, a few picks, some strings, which I broke three strings my first day playing the guitar. Were you uh, just like hitting the strings, or <laughs> I don't know. I was eleven. I was like, awesome, a guitar! And I just played the shit. And I broke a bunch of strings. Right. Um, second guitar after that, which I still have, was my Strat. Uh, which, most of my guitars were given to me. I have most of my guitars that I've ever had, and they were all given. Most of them were either given to me or, you know, like all my guitars came came to me in a weird way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I still have most of my guitars. The only guitar I don't have is the Epiphone, that original Epiphone. Um, I put stickers all over it, and I uh, had a roommate whose mom looked like John Goodman with long hair. Oh, shit. And she punched him in the face. Whoa, in front of you? Yeah. Wow. No, this woman was no joke. She was a Haitian. You familiar with like the biker yeah. gang Haitians? Right. The woman was very scary. She punched him, flung, punched him in the face. He went flying and landed on my guitar. Um, I didn't say anything about it. <laughs> I just, <laughs> fuck, chalked that. Just, yeah. I just chalked that one up as a loss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, then my second guitar was a Fender Strat. Uh, which I still have. It's a Fender Stratocaster Mexican Series Deluxe. Mexican uh, Series Deluxe. Mexican Deluxe, uh, which means it has the active pickups. How'd you get that uh, one? Active tone boost. Uh, my mom got it for me. Mm. Uh, my mom got it for me. Um, the next guitar I got after that um, was another acoustic guitar that my mom also got me. Um, I hadn't talked to my mother in four or five years uh, from the age... I don't know, maybe 16 to 20, and uh, she found out where I was and 
she sent me a guitar. I have a little big baby Taylor, which I still have today. It's my little beater guitar that I've taken with me everywhere. It's a good brand. Um, yeah, a little. If I suggested any young guitar players out there that are looking for a good cheap instrument, big baby Taylor, you know, you can pick them up for two, three hundred bucks, um, and they're solid, super yeah. solid, super solid guitars. Uh, it's my camping guitar. I beat the shit out of it. It's got candle wax on it. That guitar's been with me everywhere. I left Arizona with nothing but that guitar. Two days worth of clothes. And twenty six dollars on a Greyhound bus. That's how I left Arizona at twenty one. That's how I did it. Um, my next guitar after that um, is my my bass, right? Which I started playing. So the bass I actually bought new. I got it uh, on a scratch and dent deal on Musician's Friend. Also, if you can scratch and dent, the way to go. It means somebody opened the box at some point and they can't resell it as new. So I got a Fender J um, Deluxe series again because I like the active, like the Fender. Singer coils with the active tone boost, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Fender J five string. Um, it, I ordered it online. Um, well, I had been shopping for that bass for a long time because I started playing bass because uh, I uh, I had played in this band and we'd gone through bass players like crazy. And I said to the drummer I was playing with yeah. that I was either gonna if if we went through another bass player. I was going to buy a bass and a bass amp, and I was going to be the bass player. I went through two more bass players after that, and I was like, fuck this. Fuck that, yeah. Fuck this. I'm I'm bass player now. And then I've been a bass player ever since. I love bass. It's my yeah. favorite. So I ordered it online as a four-string. It got to my house as a five-string. I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I played it. Now I can't play a four-string bass. I refuse. Wow. It's okay. I love it. The fifth string's an edge, do you think? Uh, it gives I it an mean, extra edge? You have extra. I mean, I don't yeah. know. It's like having another inch on your cock. I don't know. <laughs> like, we'll use it, you know? Right. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, then I got my Yamaha. The Yamaha is a cool story, right? So the guitar I'm playing today. I've had the Yamaha since I moved to San Diego. Uh, I had the only acoustic guitar I had was the Big Baby Taylor, which I was using for open mics. It didn't plug in, so I'd use the Dean Marley pickups, which I fucking hate. They sound like shit, or they would have to mic me. Yeah. And so I was shopping for... Which is annoying as it is. Yeah, yeah. which sucks. Um, so I was shopping for, like, a, um, a acoustic electric guitar, and uh, I just didn't have the money, you know? Like, a good Taylor, a good Martin, I mean, it's two grand, you mm-hmm. know? Um uh, I had this friend of mine who is an avid open mic goer, and uh, his name is Don, and uh, he goes to all kinds of open mics. He just like he thinks it's a free variety show, and he loves it. It's great. That's one and way so, to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And so him and I became friends, and he's like, "Hey, man," he's like, "I got this extra guitar um, that I'm not using. I guess he had bought a new Martin. He doesn't play, but he likes to play at his house. Martin. Like, yeah. He got a brand new Martin. Fuck, dude. And he's like, "Look, I have this old Yamaha that I don't use anymore. So that guitar, it's a '77 Yamaha FG." Um, uh, it has an uh, aftermarket LR bags pickups, which is active, which is actually a pickup that's designed for nylon string guitar. So it's super hot, super hot active pickup. Saved my life so many times. I mean, like, plug it into a shitty PA and you just crank it, and I can get all the tone out of it I want. Um, so he let me borrow it. He's like, why don't you hang on to this for a while? If you like it, you know, maybe we'll work something out, you know, or until you buy another guitar. I did a benefit show for a friend of mine, um, and had a really awesome set, had a you know, trumpet player sitting with me and a violin player and had a great set. You know, we raised a whole shitload of money for this girl and, you know, um, she really needed it. And so the guy came backstage afterwards. He's like, hey, man, that guitar, it's yours. You can have it. Um, Goddamn. Yeah. Wow. He's like, you know. Uh, That's respect right there. And so, yeah, he let me keep the guitar. I've had it ever since for five years. And the last guitar I have is my, um, is my nylon string guitar, um, which is a handmade guitar from Spain. It's an Esteve. Um, handmade nylon string guitar. 
Um, when I was living in San Diego, I had some buddies of mine, like I said, that play flamenco music, and you know, Jason Mraz is from San Diego, and I was kind of hanging around a lot of his circle, and they're all into the nylon. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's just a different way to play. You know, you play with your hands. You know, um, and I was shopping around for one, and I had actually bought like a cheap Yamaha one off a friend of mine for like a hundred bucks. And one of my buddies' buddies was like, hey, so I heard you're looking for a flamenco guitar. Uh, and I said, yeah. Um, he's like, look, I got this one. It's been sitting in my it's been sitting in my closet for years. I haven't played it anymore. He's like, you know, why don't you uh, why don't you hang on to it for a little while? I said, all right. I was like, look, I don't have any money. He's like, dude, just fucking take the guitar. We'll work it out later. I said, all right. So like, I was broke. I was like ducking this guy for like months. And finally, I run into him because he would always play chest in the same place the coffee shop every day and he's like hey you know i was like I, I approached him i was like look man i'm moving to the bay area in like a few months and i just don't have the money for this guitar like here have it back and he's like well you've been playing it and i said well, yes it's an awesome guitar of course i've been playing it um he's like uh he's like look dude we'll work it out he's like let's say 300 bucks now i looked this guitar up i knew exactly what he had you know, it's a twelve hundred dollar guitar. It's handmade from. There's a little little sign on in Spanish that tells you like what day it was made by which maker. I mean, like somebody sat for a year with this fucking guitar, going like, they why? They take this shit serious, man. You know, like they yeah. it was by as a handmade guitar. Yeah. Uh, so it's gonna be featured on the album too. And, and uh, but uh, he's like, let's say three hundred bucks. And I was like, I do not have three hundred bucks. He's like, look, dude, I play chess here every day. He's like, come bring me 20 bucks here. And that's what he did. I brought him 20 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And eventually I paid it off. And that's how I ended up with that guitar. So Had a payment plan. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, well, yeah, that's I the... lost count already. How many guitars do you have total? I don't know. Five? Five. Is that five? Five. Something like, like 50. Um, those, I, have, I have all of those guitars, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I've been very blessed. Um, uh-huh. Guitars seem to... Guitars and musical instruments in general seem to come into my world. You know, um, the right ones, you know, seem to come to me. So I'm a big proprietor of like, you don't choose your instrument, your instrument chooses you. If I was a drummer, I would have been brought a drum set, you know, but the world brought me guitars. All right, I hear you, man. Well, Kurt, thank you for coming and for your crew for coming. And I think you're going to close out our interview with uh, with a couple tunes. Cool, great. And um, what's the name of the first tune? I don't know. I, I haven't know. decided All what right. we're going to do All yet. Right. Uh, but uh, thank you for coming once again. Okay, great, thank you. Because I'm hiding
Catch me if you can.